Hello, and welcome to the CEO Blind Spots Show, where leaders reveal their blind spots and best practices. I'm your host, Birgit Camps, and today's guest is Ivan Madrigal. He is the CEO of Builder's Choice, which has been recognized for being an Inc. 5000 fastest growing company several years in a row and is continuing to grow. So welcome to the show, Ivan. Thank you, Birgit. Thanks for having me on. Yeah, I'm so glad our mutual friend, John Leinberger, connected us because he said what an amazing person you are and how much you contribute to the community. And I am, of course, curious. You have been on the Inc. 5000 fastest growing company list for a couple of years. You also have been recognized by the Fast 100 Houston companies. So you must be doing something exceptionally well. What would you say that is? Well, it's going to sound a little maybe overly touchy-feely for people. And I think it for me, it really starts with the purpose that you're going into company. So maybe someone, maybe my advice for somebody that's in it just to make the most money they can, maybe this wouldn't be a winning formula for actually, it's not that it wouldn't be a winning formula for them. It's that they just wouldn't employ it. And I believe that it's definitely more sustainable long-term plan for a growing business. And basically the easiest way that I describe it to people is you can't fake love and you can't hide greed. And when you stand up and you're talking to your team about who you are as a company, if you haven't already done everything that you're about to speak in action and they don't all already see it, it's going to backfire. There's no point of the ethos of your company is made in action 100 and a lot of leaders get that wrong. And I think the reason they get it wrong is because maybe why they got into business in the first place. And so you know, how that translates into success for me is that I'm really looking for people that are positive, that are hungry, that have aptitude, and that I trust. And maybe a Fortune 500 company might be looking for the top talent from the top school. But in my experience, when I was in Fortune 500 for many years as a young executive, the turnover rate was tremendous. When I was on the leadership team of an energy company here in, in town, I was there for six years. And my sixth year in, I was on my third president. Each position had rotated out three times and won five times. Of course, the CIO who always gets the, the short end, mm. it seems. But wow. so hiring that way has allowed me to, to bring in people that stay. And then we just cut the cancers out early on that didn't have a positive attitude. And since then, I mean, I virtually have no turnover. I can't, I don't think I can count on one hand how many voluntary turnovers we've had as a company from people that weren't on a performance. It sounds like you learned everything what not to do prior to starting this company, but you also are a Lean Sigma master black belt. How much do you think that had to do with your success? That has, that's the, yeah, I guess I, I gave you really the, the long-term, how do you build a sustainable company with people that you trust and are going to be there for a long time and the advantages of, of having those folks for years and years. But the, I guess the practical application of my background background when I bought the business was really to understand that in my experience and, and hundreds of thousands of other consultants around the world have learned through Six Sigma that every process, and we all know this intuitively, every process is really driven by no more than two or three factors, maybe four or five at the very, very max in a chemical process. But for the most part, you really only have three things. And so after a few weeks of the business, I learned that if we got our orders right and we got our delivery on time and we had all the right parts and pieces, and then we had had the highest first-time installation quality in the, in the industry, we would win. I knew those were the three levers that we had to just have complete and relentless focus on. And the first year in business, we did no sales. We focused on just improving those three things. And we did to the point that we were able to start getting business. And since then, since we bought the business in 2014, it was a 16-year-old company. We were doing less than a thousand homes a year and we've grown a thousand at least every year since then. And we still hold every volume builder that we've had since 
2014 is still with us today. Mm. So focusing on the quality and the performance, but again, that kind of goes hand in hand with having the type of people that you trust to make good decisions and good judgment and are there for years. And they really get to understand and know who you are as a company so that you can have high performance. I can teach people how to execute, but I have to trust them to make the judgments to execute when it's not something that's written down on paper, if that makes yeah. sense. Yes. And I can see that keeping your people and training them well is important. How do you do performance reviews and how do you manage that process or, or do you even have them? <laughs> it's funny that you asked me that. That's probably one of the most controversial subjects that comes up when somebody in an HR role comes into the business or just anybody that's that's been maybe in a, in a bigger corporate environment. We're, we're pretty small. We have about 65 employees and, and maybe 50 subcontractor crews, but we don't have performance reviews. I personally never found them to be effective for myself yeah. receiving them or giving them when I was in Fortune 500. Yes. And quite frankly, to me, and this kind of you know maybe segues into one of my blind spots, which I'll share later, but if you have to be able to give immediate feedback, both positive and negative, and if somebody doesn't know for a quarter or six months where they're doing great or where they need have opportunities for improvement, you've personally failed as a manager. And I'm guessing the reason that you're failing as a manager is because you don't have the intestinal fortitude to have a difficult conversation. And so yeah. I really look hard to hire people that are, I think, can push themselves into that, out of that comfort zone to have those kind of conversations are already skilled at having those conversations because we can't afford to wait six months to find out where we need exactly. to. Exactly. Yeah. Honestly, I don't believe in performance reviews. I think they're, they're a band-aid for poor management. Especially these days. So thanks for sharing that. And then I know you said you wanted to share one of your blind spots as a leader. So what was yours? Well, I think mine was probably my temperament, to be honest. Um, my first business, I had an IT business and it's a when give several reasons for why we ultimately went out of business. But the biggest one was really my failure to be willing to have difficult conversations. I was a young man. I was 23 years old. And I'll just give you one example. My One of our salespeople was in his 50s and I had trouble not calling him Mr. Mm -hmm. when he was working for me. So I had a harder time telling him things like, look, you, you can't go to sales call with armpit stained shirts. And this man is old. You know, he's my dad's age. And so I had a tough time giving him critical feedback. And really until A, I, I got so frustrated that I, I handled it poorly. And then B, it was just simply too late to save the business. We had just invested too much down that path. Some other things had happened. So I really learned then that the pain of not having those difficult conversations is much, much greater than having them. And once you learn that, and that's where I try to really coach people to get that intestinal fortitude. How do they have those conversations is just to really show them in black and white that the pain of not doing it is greater than doing it. And so that was really my, my biggest challenge going on. And then, and then today the temperament, you know, something that I'm very kind and, and soft-spoken probably a lot of the time, but it's mainly more of it's written on my face. And so I'm trying to control my facial expressions because they sometimes mostly give me away. Huh. So I have to ask, who told you that your facial expressions were or that your temperament was an issue? You have an uncanny gift for asking questions because <laughs> it's going to sound so ironic, but I actually learned it in a performance review. <laughs> but I'm not a proponent of performance reviews because it, guess what? It was my third year. It was mm. one year performance review. And finally, it was my third year. And as the president of the company, and I said, hey, change the name here. I said, hey, John, I said, look, I mean, this is great. You've told me that I'm doing a great job for three years in a row now. 
will you please give me some constructive criticism? This is a waste of my time. I mean, I give me something so that I can improve. How else am I going to get better? And so he looked at me and said, well, Ivan, sometimes when we're in our leadership meetings, you've basically are like, F you, I've got all the data, you're wrong, and you don't know what the hell you're talking about. And I was shocked. And I said, are you kidding me? I said, I've never spoken anything like this. And he said, oh, it's written all over your face. I just, I was really mm -hmm. embarrassed to be honest with you. And so that really started, I got an accountability partner in my meetings and we kind of both checked each other after our, our meetings. How, how did we do? Mm -hmm. how, that was our facial expressions. And so, you know, still working on it to this day. Yes. As long as we're human, we get to work on stuff. Yes. So I have to ask, as we start to wrap up the show, people have been through crisis mm -hmm. and you have made it through and, but you've also dealt with a different kind of crisis, right? You give back to the community, you help people that have been through tremendous crisis. And I happen to know you actually have hired some felons. So what tip or two would you say to people about number one, making it through crisis? And number two, what made you decide to do that and help someone else who was in crisis? Well, I'll start with the second question first. It's most important to me over, I guess, just, you know, growing up, I'm originally from Venezuela. I became naturalized at 16 years old. And I spent a lot of my summers in very poor parts of Venezuela. And I saw just how people lived. And I saw how privileged we are in this country. And excuse me, if I get emotional, it's hard for me to talk about this part of my business. But so I've always felt like growing up in a family that allowed me to go to good schools and live in safe neighborhoods and made mistakes or bad decisions in my teens and 20s, I always had somewhere to fall back on. And, and a lot of these people, they don't, they may not have the family structure. I mean, mm -hmm. you know, a lot of us know why these, why people end up making bad decisions. And so I just really feel like, you know, the, well, the purpose that I created the company was to help the community, help our team, help our industry, build a winning team. And I just want to win. I want to beat the competition for fun. And I want to do it with people that I enjoy, that I enjoy spending my day with. And so mm -hmm. the purpose was to give back. And so I felt like this is a real tangible way that I can give back. And so I worked with a couple of folks in the community that do prison ministries and things like that and try to find folks that want to come in and work with us. And it, it's just, it's really probably the be one of the best feelings in the world. And Thank then you. the crisis, crisis to me is really just part of being relentless. And I love the book by Tim Grover, Relentless, but you have to just believe that you're going to make it through it. You have to believe that there's no doubt. You have to believe you're in the opportunity zone. You have to believe that you can make lemons out of lemonade, no matter what. And I'm sure everybody's got a pandemic example. So I'm going to actually go to one that was, I think my fifth month in the company. And at the time, one of our manufacturers on for cabinetry that we did 50% of our volume with was going out of business. And it was a very tough time. And I learned a lot long time ago that you don't wait and let things happen to you. You take the reins and you take the lick before everybody else and you do it to yourself. And so rather than, and I was calling the owner of the company every week, are you guys going to be able to ship next week? Are you going to be able to ship next week? Or not the owner, sorry, the VP there. And he was telling me the truth. Unfortunately, the owner was not telling me the truth. And so I pulled the plug about a month before the company ultimately went out of business and, and I saw the writing on the wall was getting really close. So I canceled it, told our team, cancel all the orders, switch them all over to this other company, which was more expensive, by the way. Mm. At the end of the day, because of our performance and reputation up to that point with our customers, we essentially gave them all a price increase when we moved to the other product that was performance wise was better and we didn't lose a single customer. And so, wow. you know, and if we would have waited until they'd already gone out of business, we would have been scrambling and we wouldn't have, we would have been left with, you know, a musical chairs game with no supplier to come. Mm. 
would have all been full. So act fast. And I guess you didn't know at the time if the clients were going to take the increase in price. You just knew it was something you had to do, right? Absolutely. And I also knew that I didn't have a choice. I could either, I knew it was going to happen. I knew Mm. it was going to happen. So I made a decision to start the process before it actually happened, before they actually went out of business. And so sometimes that takes guts and people think you're crazy, but you just have to be willing. You can't be a bump in a log and and let crises come to you and try to find out where you can take it as an advantage. And for us, the advantage was we were able to get a higher gross margin because we were selling more expensive product. Yeah. Wow. Well, Ivan, I certainly appreciate your willingness to share your lessons learned and the purpose of why you started your company and how you're giving back to the community. And if anyone wants to know more about Ivan's company, I'll put it in the description, but it's builderschoice.com spelled B-L-D-R-S choice.com. So thanks again for being on the show and contributing to other leaders. Thank you so much for having me, Barry.